Our scripture passage for this morning comes from the book of John, chapter 1, as we read verses 19 through verse 28. Would you please stand together for the reading of God's word? Hear now the word of God. And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he lay its eternal truths on our hearts this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, would you... Speak to us. Would you give us receptive hearts? Would you give us humble spirits that are ready to hear whatever you have to say to us, even if it makes us uncomfortable? Would you help us? Would you carry us? Would you make us alert, Lord? If we're tired this morning, would you give us eagerness and joy? Would you help us to hear what it is you have to say in your word? We ask you to send your spirit because it's only through his help that we're able to receive and believe what you have to say to us. And so it's in Christ's name that we ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. I wonder if we went around the room whether someone in here might have the record for waiting the longest to hear from somebody Um, Maybe you've had a family member who was in the service overseas and you had to wait an interminable amount of time for them to get back to you. Uh, Or maybe you had a friend that left on a trip and you told them to call you when they got to their destination and they waited way too long to call you and they left you worried. It took a very long time for you to hear from them. I think the longest I've ever gone waiting to hear from somebody was a good friend of mine in high school. We both graduated together, and at the time, he wasn't a believer. And then probably about 15 years later, uh, he found me on Facebook, and he got in touch with me. And the last time I knew him, he wasn't a believer, and I was a believer. And so even though we had been very good friends as, as children through high school, we sort of grew distant, because since I was a Christian and he wasn't, we had different priorities, different things we were interested in. And probably one of the most exciting things for me was about 15 years after I had last seen him, he communicated with me that not only was he now a Christian, 
but he had a family he was raising in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And not only that, but now he was a pastor back home in the town that we grew up in together. And so just thrilled to hear from someone after 15 years. And I'm sure some of you could probably tell me about relationships that you had uh, heard from someone finally after a long time, much longer than 15 years. But for me, that was a long time. And imagine, though, waiting 400 years to hear from someone. Well, that's sort of what made John the Baptist such a fascinating figure in Israel, because ever since the prophet Malachi, Israel had not heard from someone very important. They had not heard from God. And so they endured 400 years of divine silence, waiting to hear what he would say to them next. And then at the end of this 400 years, what happens? Well, our passage tells us that John comes on the scene baptizing people. And he's this figure of fascination and, and curiosity. The way that John tells that people are coming from all around so that they can come and see this strange man to have their curiosity satisfied, perhaps. And I, I do think it is possible and it's probable that John the Baptist doesn't get the sort of attention from Christians that John the Baptist deserves. You know, we, we sort of want to quickly move from John the Baptist to talking about Jesus. After all, that's why John came, right? He, he didn't come so that we could talk about John. John came so that we would talk about Jesus, so that we would look at Jesus, so that we would set our eyes on Jesus. But let me just caution you that we should pump the brakes just a little bit and appreciate John a little bit more because If you read the rest of Scripture, Jesus has some amazing things to say about John, the sort of things that should cause us to sort of sit up and pause and say, whoa. Think about this passage in Matthew 11, 11. He says, truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Like if you think of Moses as being the the sort of the best prophet, the most important prophet, or if you think of Elijah or Elisha or Isaiah or Jeremiah as being the greatest, the most important prophets, you can throw them all away because as far as Jesus is concerned, John the Baptist is the one. So here's the thing. If Jesus says this about John the Baptist, then we ought to be more interested in John. We ought to give him more attention than we likely do. And so just limiting ourselves the best we can to John's gospel this morning, John shows us three things about John the Baptist that help us understand him and by extension that help us understand Jesus better. And the three things that we see John as in our passage this morning is we see him as the voice, we see him as the Baptist, and we see him as the forerunner. So we're going to see all three of those this morning. Um, First, the gospel presents John the Baptist to us as the voice. You know, the other gospels introduce John as this almost wild-eyed figure. He's wearing camel's hair. He's eating honey. Uh, He's wearing a leather belt. All of these things that echo the life of the prophet Elijah. And here he is. It's almost like he's being echoed in this man's ministry now. And in fact, that's to be expected. If you read the end of the book of, of Malachi, in fact, if you read the last two verses of the entire Old Testament, you find this expectation being created for us. It's not on accident that these guys are looking for Elijah. 
Because listen just to the last two verses of the Old Testament before the silence sets in. God says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So think about this. Before the silence happens, the last thing that God tells them is, look for Elijah. I'm going to send him before my prophet. And so here you have a guy. He looks like Elijah. He talks like Elijah. He eats like Elijah. He grooms himself like Elijah. Just, Just everything about this guy just screams, Elijah, Elijah, there he is. That's him. And then they come to him in verse 21, and you can almost expect the answer. They said, who are you? Are you Elijah? And John says, I am not. Well, (laughs) you don't really expect that. You expect him to say, yes, I am Elijah. And then he also denies that he's the Christ. He also denies that he is the prophet. So it's interesting that he denies being Elijah. And here's what makes it curious. When you read Matthew eleven fourteen, 14, Jesus is talking about John. John's not in the room. People are asking him about John. And he says, among those born of women, there has arisen none greater than John the Baptist. But then he says this, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. So who is right? Jesus or John the Baptist? It's a contest I don't really want to see. I don't think they they work against each other because the answer is they are both right. They are both right. So what Jesus means in Matthew 11 is that John is the fulfillment of Malachi's prediction. He's, He's the fulfillment of that prediction that there was going to be this Elijah figure that was going to come, who was going to turn the hearts of the sons to the fathers and the hearts of the fathers to the sons. But he also is saying that he's not literally Elijah as though reincarnation is a thing, right? The reincarnation is not a thing. And he's, he's not Elijah because of a resurrection, because we know about John's birth. We're told about how he was born. So this isn't a resurrection either. So it's not reincarnation and it's not a resurrection. So what's going on here? Well, what's going on here is the fulfillment of Malachi's promise. John wants us to know that he's the fulfillment of Malachi's promise, but he's not literally Elijah in the flesh. And so John isn't lying when he says that he's not Elijah, um, but his answer also isn't the full story either. There's more to it. Well, then they ask him, then, who are you? Who are you then? And he answers, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And so what he does is he quotes from Isaiah 40. If you want to know who I am, if you want to know what I'm about, look at what Isaiah 40 says. Isaiah 40 is a passage about repentance and about salvation. It's not a judgment passage necessarily. It's a passage about God doing a new exodus and rescuing his people from a deeper enslavement than the Israelites knew when they were in Egypt. And and John quotes from this passage to define his ministry as if to say, God is going to do something greater. He's going to rescue us from an even worse captivity before. 
It's hard to imagine something worse than being slaves for 500 years. And yet, John is saying here, there is something worse than being slaves for 500 years. And the one that I'm pointing to is going to rescue you from that deeper, worse slavery. In Matthew 11, we read it just a moment ago, Jesus says, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And so what Jesus is doing here is he is very explicitly saying that John is an Old Testament prophet. He groups John in with Moses. He groups him in with Isaiah and Jeremiah and all of these Old Testament prophets. And he says, this is the last Old Testament prophet. This is it. John is where it stops now. So you had men like Moses and Elijah, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Micah, Jonah, Malachi. The list goes on. You had all of these men. Then you had 400 years of silence. And then this moment comes and all of the silence is put away as God gives one last word from John before his son gives his own real final word. And with the son... God stops speaking through prophets, and now he speaks through himself. He speaks for himself. So John is the voice of a new exodus. He's the one reminding Israel, there is a worse captivity than being a slave of Pharaoh. There is a such thing as enslavement to sin. Israel, repent. And John is saying, I'm that voice that Isaiah talked about. I'm the preacher that Malachi said would come, I'm the voice crying out in the wilderness. All of these things that you've been waiting for to actually begin, they've started with me. So that's the first thing we see John as. We see him as the voice. Second, we see him as the Baptist. Now, I know he's often called uh, the Baptist in the New Testament. He's called the Baptist, but... Uh, he's called that because his baptism stuck out to people. You know, in the, in the Old Testament, there was a such thing as ceremonial washing. There was a such thing as, as baptism. Uh, but there's something about this that's different. There's something about his baptism that stuck out to people. So if you think about it, the priests and Levites, they ask who John is. But after they ask who John is, what is it that they ask? You know, do they, do they ask him about his message? Do they ask him about his preaching? No, the first question that they ask him is, why are you baptizing? Why are you baptizing? This baptism draws more of their attention than his preaching. So they say, why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophets? So so they want to know, why is he doing this? Why is he doing this ceremony? This is something they apparently expect of the Messiah, and he's doing it. And his response to them is to say, I baptize with water, but among you is one you do not know. In other words, there's a difference between the baptism I'm doing and the kind of baptism that he's going to do. And the response is that the Messiah is going to baptize, but this isn't that. This is different. Because think about what John, think about what John functions as. Think about what his role is. He's all about preparation. He's all about laying the groundwork. He's all about making sure things are ready for this to happen. You know, I, I don't know if you noticed when the, the parking lot was sealed. In fact, you probably didn't notice unless you drove by. But before they sealed the parking lot out there, they were going over it like with a fine tooth comb. They were using 
um, you know, blowers. They were using leaf blowers and such to sort of clear things off of the parking lot so that when the sealant goes on, everything is ready and you're not going to have dirt between the sealant and the parking lot. They had to prepare the parking lot so that it could receive the sealant. Um, and if they didn't do that, then the sealant would have come right off with dirt and things like that. And that's what John's ministry is. He's the guy that goes through and blows all the dirt off. He's the one that gets things ready for the actual real work that we're waiting for. And so John says his baptism is a baptism that's meant to prepare. What does he say in Matthew 3.11? He says, I baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So, so John's baptism reveals Jesus to Israel. And, and how does his baptism reveal Jesus? Because John is only baptizing with water. What he's doing is just a shadow. Like all these other Old Testament practices and ceremonies, the baptism does something. What it does is it points us to Jesus. John's is the shadow. Jesus's is the substance. There's something more going on here. And what Jesus does is he fulfills that shadow, that thing that was going on there. Now, part of what throws us off about John's baptism is we sort of think it's the same as Jesus's baptism, or we have an instinct to think that way. And we sort of do that because they're so close together. We think here's the ministry of John the Baptist, and then you see the ministry of Jesus begin afterwards, and you see people come to Jesus and getting baptized. And I think we wouldn't struggle so much with baptism if they were further apart, but they're not far apart. They're, they're actually close together. And I think there's something about the shadow that points to something that pretty much is in Israel already. John says, among you stands one you do not know, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And so John knows he's doing something that points to someone who's right there. So John is doing something. He doesn't, he's not pointing in the distant future. He's not even pointing uh, in any future time at all. He's pointing right across the river and saying, if you just look, the guy I'm talking about is right over there. So for John, the closeness of the shadow to the substance isn't really an issue. But when he baptizes, he's creating this anticipation. It's a, it's a baptism of repentance. So what is he doing? He's getting the people of Israel ready to, to meet the one who can give repentant people true life and forgiveness. Because the Messiah doesn't come to save the, the good people. He doesn't come for the people who are straight-laced and have it all together and everything in their life is fantastic. You know, they're, they're, they're living this... This conventional lifestyle. No, Jesus comes for the people who need to repent. If you are not the kind of person who needs to repent, if you're the kind of person who doesn't think that you need to repent, Jesus didn't come for you. He came for the people who need him. And that's uh, something that you have to understand about this is that the, the, the baptism he's getting is more than just having water poured on your head The baptism that Jesus gives is a baptism that is meant to change you from head to toe. And so that's why in the book of Acts, you have people who they've never really heard the full gospel yet. And they've had John's baptism and they still need to be baptized. They still need to be baptized, even though they've been baptized by John before. And it's because all they've gotten is the shadow. They need the real thing still. Today we baptize, uh, but it's. Not the same as the way they practiced it, of course. Uh, 
Um, the baptism we have is not John's baptism because this was a baptism of repentance. What we do is a baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Also, our baptism doesn't look forward like John's did. Our baptism is a baptism that says the Messiah has come now. Just like the Lord's Supper. In the Lord's Supper, we have an aspect of the Lord's Supper where we look forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb where we'll get to eat and drink and be in the presence of Jesus. But there's also a sense in which we certainly look back in the supper. And in the baptism, that's what we do. We look back. So John the Baptist gave baptism, but only to Jews. Today, anyone can be baptized. It doesn't matter what your racial background. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. Everyone receives the baptism that we do. And of course, we don't give anyone a baptism in the Spirit. That's something that only God does. And so we don't do this. Instead, we give a covenant sign that points to Christ and what he does for us. So, so our baptism represents initiation into the church Union with Christ, the washing of sins, baptism by the Holy Spirit, and all the benefits we get from sharing in his redemption. But when John comes along, he comes along as a Baptist. Of course, there's a denomination, the Baptist, but he comes along as a Baptist, as someone who performs this ceremony that points to Jesus. Third, we see John as the forerunner. John says, he points to the one who comes after me, whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Um, Remember what we saw at the beginning. John draws all this attention to himself. You know, he's wearing the camel hair. He's wearing the Elijah costume. You know, he's, he's looking like a prophet. He talks like a prophet. And to people who haven't heard from God in 400 years, he is like a magnet just drawing people to himself from all over Israel to the point that the Pharisees in Jerusalem say, hey, send somebody out, talk to this guy, find out what on earth is going on. And yet the attention that he's drawing, he actually deflects it. It actually isn't for him. He sees himself as a sign. And I know I use this I use this illustration all the time, and I hope it really imprints itself on you, but a sign points to something that's not it, right? A sign points to a thing other than itself. Um, If you see a road sign, that road sign points to the place you're going, the thing you're looking for. And so think of John the Baptist as being a giant, attractive, exciting road sign with flashing lights and arrows and the arrows all say they don't say come to me they say messiah over here just lights and exclamation points and stars and all sorts of things that you just go what on earth is going on with that sign and then the sign is going no 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 look for him look for the messiah Because he's not going to be attractive. He's not going to have all this stuff that draws you to him, but you need to look for him. See, John's the forerunner. He comes before, he sets things in order, he prepares the way, he gets people ready. That's his job. His job is to be the roadside pointing us to Jesus. And so so John does get a lot of attention here, at least for a while. But I want you to notice how he thinks of Jesus and how he thinks of his relationship to Jesus. He says, he says he's not even worthy to untie his sandals. There is, 
an aspect to John the Baptist here that we deeply need to imitate. Because look at what John the Baptist does. He says, I don't even deserve to serve him. You know, he, he doesn't just say it would be an honor to serve him. He says, I don't deserve to serve him. Sometimes, and not always, of course, but sometimes um, we would say it differently. We would say, I'm too busy to serve him. Or we might be tempted to say, I'm too tired, too tired to serve him. John doesn't, doesn't do that. He picks the most mundane thing that is no big deal at all, right? Think about how many times you untie your shoes and tie your shoes again. Or if you're, if you're an animal, uh, you don't untie your shoes at all. You just slip them out and slip them back in. What are you thinking? <laughs> um, but think about how many times you do this mundane thing. You slip your feet in and out of your shoes. And John says, I'm not even worthy to be involved in that. In this guy's life. He says, I don't even deserve that. I don't even deserve to serve him doing the most menial thing that a person could possibly do. Putting their shoes on and off. I think if we, if we were asked, if, if you said, I want you to go on the record. Uh, and if I went around to each of you and I said, are you willing to be servants of Jesus? I think or I hope you would all say yes. I think we would all say that. Because I think we know what the reality is. I think we know what we should say. And I think we know what we should be like. But, but I also sometimes fear deep in our heart that we believe something very different. Because we can believe that really Jesus is here to serve us. And as much as we might with our mouths sort of, sort of acknowledge and say, yes, I should be a servant of Jesus. When you put it into practice... It's us saying, I want Jesus to serve me. And I ought to be the master. Maybe he should be glad to untie my shoes. Now, we would never, never, ever say that. If I went around, we would get zero people saying that in their answers. But see, here's the thing. We do believe that. Even if we don't say that, anytime we become angry with God because he didn't do things the way that we thought he should do them. Right? We do this whenever we become impatient with God's providence and we become angry at his, what we think is his delaying for one reason or another. Anytime that we don't submit to the will of God in our lives, we're like the disciple who thinks Jesus is really here to untie my sandals. Have you ever been angry that God did something in a way that you didn't like? Have you ever grumbled in your heart at the providence of God? It may be our worst moments, and I think it is our worst moments. But if we do that, those are moments when we need to look at Jesus and like John say, I don't even deserve to untie your sandal. I don't deserve to serve you at all. Do what you will with me and my life. So the key isn't that we're willing to say that. The key isn't that we instinct that we believe that necessarily in the way that we would be willing to affirm it. But the key is that must sink down and become a part of who we are. I don't deserve to untie your sandal. Whatever you want me to do in my life, that's fine. I'll do it. I don't even deserve to untie your sandal. 
And so our, our, our passage shows us that John is the voice, John is the Baptist, and John is the forerunner. You know, he isn't the Messiah, he isn't the Savior, he isn't the rescuer, but he is the pointer. He's the one who points to the rescuer. He's the one who points to the Messiah. And in our passage this morning, John, John will say the real reason why he came. In fact, we'll see it next week. He says, for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. So John's life, John's purpose, the reason he gets up in the morning, the reason he has a breath in his lungs, the reason why he has honey in his belly, the reason why he has locusts to eat and sustains himself on these things, and the reason, by the way, why you and I have food in our stomachs and air to breathe and legs that can walk. It's because John isn't the main character in this story. God is. God is the reason why he does what he does. John knows this. The question is, do we know it? Do you know that this really isn't your story? One of the main characteristics of the last several generations of Americans, I know it's typical for for baby boomers to sort of pick on millennials and talk about millennials like they're just the most disappointing generation that's ever come around. But I guarantee you every generation has always thought that the next generation is deeply disappointing. I'm not sure there's ever been a generation that has actually been proud of and bragging on their children. Everyone gets into their 20s and people say, man, what a bunch of disappointments. And that's the way that everyone talks about the upcoming generations. But you know, the reality is Americans for a very long time have been a sort of people who think that they're the center of the universe. We tend to think that we're here to change everything. We think of ourselves as earth shakers, planet shakers, people who are here to change the world. And that's what we think about ourselves, not just millennials, everybody. And we tend to think that we're the center of the universe and that we're just going to upend things and uh, the earth is going to go off of its axis because we're so amazing. And the reality is that is what's in the air and it's been in the air for a very long time. But I wonder, I wonder what it would be like if more of us had the mentality of John. I'm no big deal at all. I'm just here to show you Jesus. I'm just here to point you to Jesus. The reason I exist is I'm here to serve. I'm here to give you a message about someone who can change your life. And that person isn't me. That's not just a message that preachers deliver. That's a message we each deliver with our lives as we're living every single day during the week. Are we content to point others to the answer and not be the answer? As Christians, we are just pointing people. We are not self-promoters. To put it in rap lingo, uh, we are the hype man. We are not the main act. That's our job. We're, we're We're the hype man. We are the one who's here, and our whole job is to point to him and talk about him and set people's eyes on him. And if you're looking at me, you're looking in the wrong place. Look somewhere else. Look over here. Look to Jesus. And so the thing that John teaches us is this. Let's be content to serve Let's remember that we don't even deserve to do that. We don't even deserve to untie his sandals. And yet he tells us that the Son of Man came not to be served, 
but to serve. Even the one that we should be ashamed to serve because we're so low and so undeserving. He says, I came to serve you. And because he came to serve us, we're able to live our life breathing in grace every single moment. And so as Christians, let's keep pointing with all our energy to where the answer is. What we have in this meal before us this morning is Jesus Christ serving us, coming to us, giving us this meal we have no right to apart from him. That's what Jesus does. He gives us the meal. He gives us the supper. And he says, you need me to sustain you. You need me to feed you. You need me to give you drink. And if I don't, you will die. The answer is Jesus. The answer is in us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you love us so much that you sent your Son to pay the penalty for our sins, to live as an example for us to follow and to be our forerunner in the faith. But you also sent John to proclaim Christ. Would you give us a love for Christ like John had? Would you, would you give us a sense of our own unworthiness like John had so that we see our own emptiness and know the fullness that we do find in you and in your son? Make us signs, O oh God, who like John Point to your son through our lives and the way that we love one another. It's through your son that we pray this morning. Amen.